You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. There was once a dream, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith and trust. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! <laughs> Take your pixie out of your pocket, and we're going to fly to Neverland, and we're going to be quick about it, because strap in. This is going to be a big show, because I have some segments that ran longer than I expected, and I have some segments still to record. But we brought the Wendy Nerd with us. Hello. Hi. Because there were two big movies to, re- to watch in yep. review. Yep. So we'll have some reviews for both X-Men Apocalypse and Alice Through the Looking Glass, as well as three trailers to talk about in the trailer park. And because we have so much to do, my goodness, I got a tribute here for Alan Young, which will include the audio I forgot to include last week where I talked to Bill Farmer at Planet Comic Con. Of course, you might know him as Goofy. Mm-hmm. That was cool to meet him. Yes, it was. We had a lot of fun getting to talk to him. I even talked to him after I was done recording. I should really have him back on to sit down and talk about some other characters he's done sometime, but that's a, that's neither here or there. Or nor there. Uh, but we also part of that tribute for Alan Young, I wanted to talk to some other people that had worked with him. So we have Katie Lee and Townsend Coleman. Uh, Katie Lee's been on here several times. You know her as Sunny Gummy and, uh, and Honker from Darkwing Duck. Townsend Coleman was Michelangelo on the Ninja Turtles and also the Turk uh, and a lot of other characters. But they've both worked with him, with Alan Young, on Adventures in Odyssey. And, of course, if you can't think of who Alan Young is, let me just say Scrooge McDuck and also mm-hmm. Wilbron Mr. Ed. Uh, so you, you will know who he is, and so we we got to talk about him a little bit. Also, I wanted to sit down with the last boy, Eric, to talk about who Apocalypse is in the comics. And so I, I asked him to reread the Age of Apocalypse storyline from the 90s, and so he's going to give us a little rundown on that. And uh, we talked for about a good 40 minutes of all kinds of fun comic goodness, so that's why this is a long episode, so we might as well just get started. <sighs> comic books. <laughs> it's what they like. Uh, it's what you like, too. Okay, but we need to get started. Okay. Mama, now the gator got in the house. Now the gator? Give me that sugar. Come here. Oh. Oh. Get him, Mama. Oh. Get that gator. The Neverland Trailer Park. It will haunt you every night. Whatever it is, no one should have to encounter that kind of evil. Except you girls. I think you can handle it. Oh, all good. Thanks. We have a gift. We see what no one else is willing to see. We do things others can't do. Ghostbusters. 
If there's a paranormal problem, we're the ones to answer the call. Hello. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. What do we think of these Ghostbusters? Are they to be taken seriously? You take that aisle, I'll take the far one. Okay, you sweaty freaks. I'm about to save you from this ghost. Okay, so I don't know if it was a race thing or a lady thing, but I'm mad as hell. There's a bigger picture at hand here. Someone is creating a device that amplifies paranormal activity. We're gonna need a bigger boat. Hey guys, check it out. Kevin, come inside. I was born to be a Ghostbuster, all right? Oh man, that's so not good. Something big is gonna happen. The word we're looking for is apocalypse. You want a piece of this? Yeah! The government's trying to claim the event isn't supernatural. We don't want a panic. We don't want mass hysteria. Get out of the city! Get out of the city! I will kick the unliving crap out of you! And you! Especially you! Hey! Don't move! You got a, uh... No, I'm tired. No, no, Listen. I'm just gonna go ahead and take off. How about that? I, I don't really think that's a good idea. No, going to take off. Don't piss off the ghosts. Really? Okay, so I've put these trailers in order of what actually got me excited. So, of course, the low end of the totem pole is the new Ghostbusters. Yeah, it's on the low end yeah. for me, too. And the, there is one thing I'm curious about. The very last frame of it, it says Ghostbusters answer the call. So are they subtitling it to try to separate it from the other, you think? Mm, that It would be smart simply because the first franchise, if you will, it was so big, you know, yeah. and, and we, they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the first one. Yeah. I think that would be smart of them to do. So, yeah, to separate it. But I, I don't know if that's an official title, but I just found it interesting. Mm-hmm. Because it would probably, I think it would be better to do that than to just call it Ghostbusters because it's not going to be as good. It, it, even though the trailer looks better, yeah. like I feel better about the movie after seeing this one, um, I still find the comedy a little contrived and like it just. It's just it's, not funny. No, it's, it's just, just not, not funny. Um, I mean, there were as interesting little plot twists that, um, if you watch it, actually watch the video that you kind of, hmm, okay, that's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, it seems Chris Hemsworth's character, Henry, we see him being possessed and riding off. Now, is he going to be a possessed and become the villain or was he the villain the whole time? Cause he's just pretending to be stupid. Is he yeah. actually a relation to Evo Shandor? You know, something like that. Yeah. Which could be good. But uh, it's it seems almost like they're trying to do that role reversal. It's like, oh look, the male dumb blonde. Because we've always we've had the the typical dumb blonde female. So now we have to have the male dumb blonde. Dumb blonde like, yeah. So you still have to have a dumb blonde. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so oh, whatever. Yeah. So you know the movie. Delicious Chris Hemsworth. We're breaking away I mean, from stereotypes by using other ones. You know. Yeah, really. I know. So <laughs> this is Chris Hemsworth. Like I said, you know, I, I like Chris Hemsworth. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, not that way. Not like fangirl. <laughs> Uh, well, let's no. see. When, how many times have you been voted sexiest man alive by people? Hasn't that happened like at least twice? I don't know. <laughs> but we know there's a lot of fangirls that that's the reason they like Thor. 
Well, I mean, I guess they got to throw somebody in to get people yeah. to watch the movie. <laughs> sure. That sounds bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, still very low expectations, but I might go see it when it's... Do we have cheap theaters around here anymore? Not really, no. Uh, I'll, I'll, no. Well, I should review it for everybody so I can personally get we'll on We'll probably here. go and see it just Just because, to review it, yes. just to be able to say, yes, this was not worth your time. Or, hey, surprisingly, might be fun. But uh, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. We'll I'm, tr- I'm trying to keep an open mind. Be positive. I really am. Yeah. I really be, am. Be positive. So, okay. But we have some more fun trailers. Okay. Hello. Did you hear that? What was that? Your what? Stan, I just, I heard someone say hello. Yeah, there's a lot of fish here. Anybody, literally anybody could have just said hello. hello. There. Where am I looking? There. Oh. Hi, I'm Dory. Yeah, well, where are your parents? Hi, I've lost my family. Where did you see them last? I forgot. I was looking for something and I... Okay, totally get it. Date night. I suffer from short-term memory loss. It runs in my family. At least I think it does. Where are they? Dory, there you are! Guys. Look out! Ah. Oh, look at this. Our friend got taken into whatever this place is. It's a fish hospital. I feel fantastic! Listen! Dude. His name's Hank. I have to find my family. That's a hard one, kid. Well, I guess you're stuck here. You're not helping, Bill. I lost my family. That is so sad. You weren't there. Not a great swimmer. Our friend is in there, lost, alone. Bailey, you've got to use your echolocation. Ooh, I feel stupid. Poor baby. Let me get that for you. Mom! Dad! She should just pick two and let's go. Dad. What? I'm kidding. I get the feeling they're shushing us for a reason. Like something with one big eye, tentacles, and a snappy thing? Well, that's very specific, but something like that. Somewhere out there is my family. I can't find them on my own. Hang on, Dory! Surf's up, dude! I don't want to be touched. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Everybody does it. Nothing to be ashamed of. I trust Becky. You trust Becky. Becky's eating a cup. Just keep swimming. Mom! Dad! Does this mean we have to say goodbye to Dory? I don't know why I thought I could do this. Dory, you are about to find your parents. And when you do that, you'll be home. Sea lions. They are natural predators. They could pounce at any moment. Uh, my, don't you worry. Oh, Get off the Get rock. off the rock. You know Don't you worry about a thing. Okay, so... Admittedly, admittedly, when I heard, okay, look, a sequel, and we're going to be all about finding Dory, I was like, that's like giving Jar Jar Binks a movie. Because Dory is kind of fun, and she's not as annoying as Jar Jar Binks, though. But Jar Jar Binks is at least, you know, the first time you watch him, you know, he can be kind of funny. It's just after repeated viewings, you're like a little tired of him. And Dory was kind of the same way in Finding Nemo. She's kind of fun and everything, and she still has good qualities, but she can get a little annoying after repeated viewings. So I was thinking, well, give her her own movie. Gosh, do I want a whole movie of this character? But, you know, I was like, well, you know, this could be good, and it's Pixar, so I'm going to like it. But this actually was, I think they did probably the best trailer they've put out. Yeah, I think it was the best as far as, like, explaining the plot and kind of fleshing out a little bit more other than, uh, obviously, Dory lost her family. we got to go find them. We've got a bunch of new friends to meet that help her on her way. You know, there it, it seemed like there was more to it, which yeah. was... You know, and I, I'm hoping that some of the characters, <clears throat> the new characters that they bring in 
are going to dilute the doriness. Is that I don't know if that's yeah, the that's best way to to put yeah. it. So that you, because when you got your funny person, you got to have somebody straight. Yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Well, it does look at least though that Marlin and Nemo will be kind of going along for mm-hmm. a while, and then we get to meet a bunch of fun new characters at a, a marine life hospital mm-hmm. type of thing when when Dory gets stuck in a. Uh, by the way, y'all, this is serious. The little can, little circle, six rings, six right. rings. Cut them up before you throw them away because they are not kidding in that movie. How Dory yes. gets stuck in one? Yes, animals do get stuck in there, and they do harm the animals. So yeah. Take that to heart. So I'm kind of glad they kind of put that in there because people might think about that. Yeah, be I careful mean, careful how you throw stuff away. It is out there, but a lot of people, ah, uh, and they just pitch it, and yeah. you know. But uh, yeah, let's not sidetrack too far. But yes, I know I could get on a soapbox. I know on that I could soapbox. Yeah, but so I like that gives you a chance to meet because the octopus character looks fun, mm-hmm. and so I'm really excited to meet you know, all the new characters that they're going to come across this time. Mm-hmm. And this trailer does, I think, a good job of getting you kind of emotionally involved. You think, oh, poor Dory, she doesn't know where her family is. Yeah, and it seems like at a young age she didn't know where her yeah, family was because she's got that short term memory. So mm-hmm. she somehow got separated, and she was probably trying to find her family when she came across Marlon the first time because apparently that's been her thing. But she. Mm-hmm. May have forgotten that she was doing that. Yeah. What was I doing two seconds ago? That kind of thing. Yeah. So, but it looks cute, and I I love the sea lions at the end. Yes, they did a thing <laughs> like with the sea lions at the end, kind of like with the uh, seagulls and the um, mine, mine. Yeah, the crabs I, and the crabs. So. Yeah, they reminded me more of the crabs. Hey, hey. Yeah. So you no, didn't see that... me do my little crab hands. <laughs> oh, I saw the <laughs> seagulls. Mine, mine, and it sounds like seagulls. Mine, mine. You know. Tripping off, yeah. and so they had so the, them going off, off, off. Those sound like sound sea like lions. Sea lions barking at. Yeah. So this this trailer got me excited. Like, okay, I want. I definitely we have to. Of course, I was already gonna go, but now I'm like, hey, this is gonna be fun. We'll go, mm-hmm. and I will like it probably because it's Pixar, and maybe because it's also going to be a good movie. Yeah, it looks like it'll be a good movie. So, oh, but here's the one that really. This one sent chills down. <laughs> Okay, so uh, the, the fun part about this, I just recently saw there's comparison to the original teasers for the animated Beauty and the Beast to the live action, and wow, they did the same thing. Yeah, I think I saw that first on Facebook. I just didn't share it with you. I figured you'd seen it. But... No, I hadn't, so, so we just watched it. And my goodness, very cool. And I, I think what gets me most excited about this, other than, 
wow, it does look very cool, the, the setup of the castle and all this stuff, but mm-hmm. hearing the original music back in, uh, when also reading that they've included additional songs by Alan Menken and Tim Rice, that makes me say, oh, music from the Broadway musical, which is also very good, is probably going to be included. So, and maybe even with a little bit of tease there, we when we see the painting of the young prince, which I'm, thank goodness they showed him looking at it as a child, because he would have had to have been a child when the Enchantress showed yeah, up. Yeah, in order to fix But you see timeline. his parents in the painting, so I'm hoping we get to see what happened to his parents. Where has his parents been all this time? You know, they're mm-hmm. gone. And maybe even possibly deal with the fact that, well, if this was apparently the ruling family in the area. How come no one in the village has been wondering, whatever happened to them? Their landlords are MIA. They're happy. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have yeah, to pay so. rent. I mean, well, but is, is this feudal system or a little bit later? Uh, this seems more Renaissance. I don't know. But uh, I, I am not familiar with the history. All I know is that it, uh, like, I think French France is where the origin comes from, or something like that. I don't know. At least is what they were going for in the Disney movie was yeah. it was set in France. But uh, anyway, so this has Emma Watson as Belle, which. I thought it was kind of a cool idea, and when I found out that she was doing some singing and some dancing lessons to be able to do it, I was like, ooh, that hey, sounds interesting. Yeah. Ewan McGregor as Lumiere, love mm-hmm. it. Yep. Ian McKellen as Cogsworth, love it. Yeah, you hear them a little bit in the trailer, too. Yay, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Emma Thompson as Mrs. Potts, I love that idea, yes. too. Yes. Uh, I think there was a few other familiar names I saw in the cast listing, but this is just perfectly cast. This is going to be so great. <laughs> but it's not coming until March. So you have to hold on. So we have to hold on. But I have to agree with people on YouTube. When you first saw it, you kind of get chills when you're like, you're getting to see the castle and the ballroom and everything's kind of dilapidated and cobwebs, but you're hearing that music and like, <gasps> ooh, yay. So very excited, but it's a Successful long way teaser. You have been teased. <laughs> I have been teased. I have been teased. And we are waiting for March and we will finally get to see this thing. So uh, now it's time, though, to do a couple of movie reviews. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie! Yeah, we're gonna be a movie! Starring everybody and me. Boy, I wish I were you people seeing this for the first time. Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken! Oh, good! Things are better. The world is better. Just because there's not a war doesn't mean there's peace. He's coming. Some call him Apocalypse. He was some kind of god. For thousands of years, he's been amassing mutants to take their powers. He always had four followers. Like the four horsemen. Eric, don't join them. Whatever it is you think you saw in me, I buried it with my family. Together, we will cleanse the earth. Everything they've built will fall! And from the ashes of their world, we'll build a better one! I've never felt power like this before. They took him. Raven. The world needs the X-Men. I'm not a hero. Students look up to you. If I'm going to teach your kids something, I'm going to teach them how to fight. Follow me. To her. I'm not afraid of him. Magneto, he's my father. What? Him and my mom, they did. No, I know. 
of us can control our powers. Then don't. Apocalypse means to destroy this world. It's all of us against a god and the most powerful beings on Earth. Anymore. I'll take everything from them. You're X-Men. Well, you've been busy. We had a little help. So X-Men Apocalypse is where I went, so I will be able to give you some review on that, and Heather will tell you all about Alice Through the Looking Glass here in just a second. Um, I Overall, if I came into this film as just a film viewer, and I was not a fan of the comics, or even maybe the 90s animated series, fantastic movie, and I would have probably nothing to complain about. It was really good. However, being that I'm a fan of the comics, at least during the 90s, I, I kind of quit reading X-Men a long time ago, and I did love that old 90s animated series, I saw a lot of potential really great characters tossed by the wayside, including Angel, who does become Archangel, you know, Warren Worthington III. We, we should see him. He's in, like, some sort of cage fighting where somebody's forcing mutants to cage fight. Well, how did he get there? Uh, is this what happens when you know, his parents have rejected him because he's a mutant? You know, there's... So many unanswered things, and they, they take time to kind of start to build a character. Start to develop him. And then just drop him off somewhere by the pool, you know, and forget about him without developing the character. Also with Psylocke. Oh, look, basically you got Olivia Munn to be, I, I don't know, eye candy or something. I don't think she even had but maybe two lines. Just, oh, look, we have Psylocke in here, and the costume looks really cool. And look at the cool thing she's doing, which she does stuff that Psylocke is not actually able to do in the comic. Or Psionic Blade is telepathic, not having any physical properties. Whoops, again. So, I know, it's, it's almost like they, they show some level of respect now to X-Men, but not quite doing it right to where there's still things we would complain about. Uh, but still, very entertaining movie. It was really weird still because they do have the problem of Havoc now being older than his brother Cyclops, which is still weird, and I guess they they do have a method of, I guess, trying to fix that error, even though they didn't really fix it, they just decided, well, let's not think about that anymore, let's just do something. So, but I will not say what, but uh, overall, yes, very cool, it was fun to see Oscar, Oscar Isaacs, after seeing Miss Poe and such a nice character, he, it's a really different character, him playing Apocalypse, or uh, I think it's pronounced En Sabanur. I, I'm probably getting that wrong, but they did use that name frequently in the film of his original, like, Egyptian name. Uh, he is really good at this, and there was some concerns that, you know, that he looked a little silly, like, a little bit, uh, I've heard Ivan Ooze from the Power Rangers movie. But it does actually look pretty good, and he does kind of have the little lip design on his face that you would expect from Apocalypse. But the overall thing here is, this is now, you know, as, as the new timeline, or the James McAvoy timeline, as they refer to it as in Deadpool, 
this is now in the early 1980s, so there's a little bit of 80s reference. There's even a little bit of a scene, which was kind of fun, uh, where the uh, characters come out of watching Return of the Jedi, which is I thought was kind of funny. Uh, although I don't agree with the assessment, I don't think it was like until 10 years later that people started to come out and say, you know what, I didn't like Ewoks. Well, if you didn't like Ewoks, <laughs> on you. <laughs> Because Ewoks were awesome, okay? The Ewoks were so awesome, Ewoks. they got their own movies. So, But they're coming out of there, it's like, oh, well, the Ewoks kind of ruined this. And they treated like Return of the Jedi is the worst of the three or something. Uh, no, I tend to actually agree with somebody who was on Rebel Force Radio who said, the reason why we like Empire Strikes Back is because of Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi is what gives meaning to the Empire Strikes Back. But still, top favorite is going to be the original, and I agree actually with Cyclops, because he is the one who says, like, but... Because if not for the first one, you wouldn't even have any of this. So you have to love that one better. But all of you that love Empire Strikes Back, you're very dark and morbid people, but I love you anyway. You're digressing, <laughs> I, dear. Yes. <laughs> anyway, but that was an interesting scene. It's like open to like, I can see discussions happening, but it's kind of fun watching the characters come out of there and discussing Return of the Jedi compared to Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars trilogy. Which is kind of nice because, you know, parent company of Marvel still Disney, which is also Star Wars. And so Fox is almost kind of like saying, nudge, nudge. Yeah, we know Disney owns this now, too. But we still have the rights to these movies. But this movie felt so much like Fox was trying to not mess this franchise up again. But yet still making some mistakes. But still making a good movie that I definitely think is probably worth your time. Uh, this is basically what you, if you're a comic reader, what you expect of Apocalypse. He shows up, and he's got world domination on there. He chooses his four horsemen, and uh, it was nice to see Moira McTaggart back in there. I had forgotten because I only saw First Class once, but uh, Charles Xavier had kind of made her forget all about them. And so it was kind of neat. They kind of get to reintroduce Moira, but Charles Xavier still has kind of feelings for her. But it was able to have her go separate and have a, a husband and child on her own, which in the comics she did do. And so they do mention her son. Uh, they don't get too far, so I don't know if they might break out the Proteus thing later. We'll, we'll see. Who knows? Uh, but, of course, they could not get through an entire movie without taking a random trip that didn't seem to help the plot of the film at all to the Weapon X project in Canada to have Stryker show up and to give Wolverine a chance to pop out. And it was actually kind of cool because he's wearing more of what you'd expect from the comics where he's wired up and he has the headpiece on. And instead of doing the stupid thing like Wolverine Origins... Where they, oh yeah, he got shot in the head with an animation bullet and he got amnesia. No, it was it was doing the actual thing from the comics where he's had all his mind and everything about him erased so they could program nothing but combat and fighting to make him literally a weapon. And there's a really kind of fun little bit of line where they say, Weapon X is loose. And you're just like, yep, here we go. Uh, and so really kind of a very, very violent scene. So all you Wolverine fans, I think you're going to be like, yeah, look at him tearing people up. Because, wow, um, they really wanted to push as far as they could with PG-13, which is becoming normal with Fox. They want to push it. It was very, very brutal. It was kind of cool, you know, uh, they, to just tie, just to throw Wolverine in there. But I guess they couldn't get, get an X-Men movie without having him somewhere. But it, it just, it seemed like we sidetracked from the plot in order to do it. But it was still kind of cool. Um... I had another thought on this, and I forgot what it was. Oh, yes, here's what it was. They also like to push PG-13 out, just for parents, for you to know. What you've kind of seen now from the last three X-Men films is, in a PG-13 movie, you are allowed one F-bomb before they give you an R. So, of course, they have to find a way to stick it in, even if it, it's completely unnecessary. But they, you know, who are you suddenly becomes who the bleep are you. Completely unnecessary. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, 
But overall, a lot of this story I think was very good. This was a, a kind of a Magneto story because he's got probably the biggest character development and plotline of the film, which I did very much enjoy. And it's a little heart-wrenching and everything at the beginning because they want you to understand Magneto's perspective, but also, you know, get to see Charles as being, you know, that that side of reason. It's like, yeah, I know you're angry and you probably have the right to be angry, but you can't let that control what you're doing. And Charles, of course, is doing this wonderful thing of creating a school and you get to see him going from where he's just running a school and thinking his dream of of mutants and regular human peace and everything he wants the school to be open to everybody while at the same time there is the need to for reform the x-men because there are going to be threats that the mutants are going to have to deal with great film overall as far as a, like i said a movie going but if you're kind of a diehard for the comics you're going to be a little disappointed on some of the changes uh, so, but that is our review of that, and now I guess we'll turn the corner and see what Alice is doing. Set a course for London. Captain ashore! You've been gone too long, Alice. Absalom? There are matters which might benefit from your attention. Hurry. the matter. We need you to save the Hatter, or Wonderland will be history. Hatter is my truest friend. If he's in need, I will help him. It's not impossible. Merely impossible. <laughs> it will be a race against time. Time is a he. He is not someone you want as your enemy. So I went to see Alice Through the Looking Glass this weekend, and I liked the movie despite my initial misgivings over the trailer. First of all, uh, don't expect the book. Um, I have read the book, and um, if you have read it or and then compared that to any of the trailers, you'll notice that the movie really does not um, resemble the book at all. Um, the credits do even state that the movie is based on the characters by Lewis Carroll and not the story. But with that said, it is still an, about a nice hour or so um, escape into Wonderland or Underland, as they established in the first movie. And of course, the story centers around Alice, who has returned to London after being the captain of her father's ship and has traveled around the world. And now she has to face a very grown-up 
family and financial dilemma. And this dilemma is brought on by the jilted boyfriend, Hamish, that we see in the first movie. And her mother, of course, pushes her to make a a grown-up hard decision. And Alice then runs away, following the caterpillar, which is now a butterfly, through a mantelpiece mirror in Hamish's study. This is the passage into Underland, and we see her passing through mirrors more than once um, in order to get in and out of Underland. Um, And this is the um, last time that we hear Alan Rickman's voice because he voices the caterpillar in the first movie and in the second movie. And so um, while it's kind of sad later on, you realize that um, the caterpillar doesn't show up anymore. Um, The movie is dedicated to Alan Rickman. So it is nice to hear his voice for one last time. Um, And of course, Alice soon finds herself with all of her old friends and discovers that the Mad Hatter is homesick for his family. And he believes that they are alive, although formerly he believed them to be be dead, to have been killed by the Red Queen. Um, And throughout the movie, the first movie and the second movie, we establish Alice as a person who believes in the impossible. In fact, supposed to believe in at least six impossible things before breakfast. But at this point, she tells the Hatter that it is impossible. And this brings a rift into their friendship. And um, she, of course, says that because you cannot bring people back from the dead. And even though she states that, she still is going to go and seek out time, hoping to turn back time, if you will, go back in time and prevent the Hatter's family from being killed by the Red Queen and save them. Personally, I enjoy the overall characterization of time, and time is played by Sasha Cohen. Um, and the character came off as both imposing and demanding, but yet you see a caring side of time as he takes care of the lives of the people in Underland. And, um, like all the characters in Underland, he's got some quirks. And they do come off as, um, they may come off as irritating to some viewers. And uh, there was one in particular where, uh, he's got these little robots called Seconds. And, of course, seconds make up minutes, right? Minutes make up hours and that kind of thing. And, anyway, he, he interacts with this little second, and it's uh, it gets a little annoying after a while. But, overall, it is, it's a pretty good representation. I really enjoyed that. And, in kind of a back-to-the-future moment, if you will, Alice is warned not to encounter herself in the past. Otherwise, it will destroy the past. Um, and... And because she is such an infrequent visitor to Underland, that's why she is able to do the time travel at all. Because all the other characters, if they went back in time, they would encounter themselves and break the past, if you will. So, I really liked very much the themes in the movie. There is an emphasis on the importance of family and using time wisely as well as tempering some madness in reality. And the last movie kind of left us with madness is good, you know, go and believe the impossible. And this one kind of pulls in the reins a little bit and says, you know, we, it it, kind of brings in the need for some reality with our, with our madness, if you will. Um, to compare the first and the, and this more recent movie, um, the first movie is, is much darker. And I think the characters have some, quirks that a lot of people have found annoying. There were a few that I personally found 
kind of annoying, and that is toned down in this movie. It's not as dark, it's a little more light, it seems a little more fun. Um, in fact, it feels really more like a children's story or a movie for children than it would be for adults. Um, it also feels like it's the right speed and length doesn't feel like it's drawn out or that they're trying to extract more from the story than what's necessary to tell what they have. And it's just really just fun. Um, and there's some of the, uh, annoying characterizations of some of the characters that, um, I found in the first movie were a little hard to, hard to swallow as you're watching the movie were toned down. So some of the white queens, um, like some of the makeup choices that they did for her was better. Like she doesn't wear the black lipstick and it doesn't, her appearance doesn't seem quite so harsh. Um, some of the finger twiddling, if you if you watch the first movie, you see her, some of the gestures she makes are very, um, I don't know, they seem a little bit superfluous, and so some of that is toned down. Um, first movie, I did find some of Hatter's voice changes from, uh, having kind of a lisp, and all of a sudden he's an angry Scotsman, it was, it was kind of distracting, and in this, we don't see that. Um, of course, the Hatter does change color, he's kind of, and that's what they establish as the character. Um, at one point, there was where his hair was all white, and I couldn't help but wonder if this was a nod maybe back to the Disney animated one because the Mad Hatter in that does have white hair. Anyway, it may just me be looking into it more than what I should, but I couldn't help um, but wonder if that was maybe thrown in there on purpose. Um, also, the Red Queen um, in the first movie seems to have a very disproportionately large head, and that's just established as her character. In this one, it doesn't queen seem quite so out of place. It seems a little, um, a little more like it fits with her body, which is a little nice. So some of the things that were so exaggerated in the first movie are toned down. So if that was something that uh, deters you from watching this movie, I wouldn't worry about it because it is a little bit better. Um, and I, I, honestly, I just really enjoyed it. And of course I love Alice in Wonderland. I've been watching the animated, um, Disney version quite a bit here lately, not necessarily in preparation for the movie, but just because I love that, love that story and love Alice in Wonderland. So if you want just to get an hour, spare hour of your time and you just want to watch just kind of a fun movie, um, this might be something to look into. All right, so now I am here with the legendary Bill Farmer. Hello, how's how's your day been? It's been great. I mean, the fans here in Kansas City have just been just been the best. Hi. Double-sided question. So, how long have you been goofy? Gorge, well, professionally, about thirty years. <laughs> but probably, I think I've been goofy my whole life. Yeah, it's so probably the rest of your life been pretty goofy. Yes. So, my goodness, so have you now? I guess been goofy longer than anybody else. Well, let me see. Pinto Colvig originated the voice in 1932. He passed away in the late 60s, but he didn't do near the volume of work that I've done. I've done over about 3,500 different projects for Disney in the 30 years. And uh, Pinto only did like 87 cartoons and some record albums and stuff, so I've certainly done the majority of the work. Yeah. So how do you manage to get like that laugh? Sometimes it just doesn't it sounds inhuman a little bit because there's the oh, but well, you got it come you, from. It's um, it was a hard thing to kind of come up with, but if I can do it, <laughs> it's just Goofy's laugh. It's a, a Goofy laugh. <laughs> that wheeze part is always thinking that like how does he make that sound? <laughs> it always completely blows my mind. 
It is. It's kind of one of the secrets of the trade here, but uh, it's a kind of a sucking in sound. <laughs> you know, kind of sucking in there. So. With the success now of these newer cartoons, are we, are we, are we expecting like another Thursday? I think we've got like two seasons worth of them now, don't we? Absolutely, and it's kind of funny. Right behind me, behind the curtain, George Takai from Star Trek is there, and he was in uh, and did an episode of uh, of our, our new series, 7D, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So we're making new cartoons. I'm in the 7D as, as the character Doc. He's a very intelligent character, and so I have an intelligent character and a somewhat less intelligent character, and uh, the new Mickey Mouse Shorts, uh, which was very sad to uh, hear that Alan Young passed away yes. yesterday, and he did one of the most recent ones that we did, where he appeared as Scrooge McDuck for the last time, I assume. Yeah, I saw him as Scrooge, I think, one time, so he did one, a second one? Oh, he did. Uh, this one was uh, it's called Goofy's First Love. It's a cartoon, Goofy's Love, and he makes an appearance. I haven't seen that one yet. And, uh, yeah, we'll pull it up on the computer here. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Oh, so what did you think about the redesign? Because they made them more, I don't know, hillbilly-ish or something. You know, uh, they work. They're very popular, and uh, they get millions and millions of hits and, and views. Um, so they are very popular. They're just kind of a different parallel universe. It's more Dippy Dog than Goofy, because he looks like he did back in 1932. Yeah. And they are a little rougher around the edges, but they're very funny, and mm -hmm. they're fun to make. And that's sort of the modern SpongeBob style of humor is how I described it. Absolutely. It's With more, more of a contemporary uh, uh, humor for these characters. Yeah. And it really reminds me of the, the SpongeBob level of just that, that crazy zaniness. And it really is. It's, it's great to see Mickey being kind of a rascal instead of so much, good golly, you know. Yeah. And Wayne Allwine, who portrayed Mickey for until he passed away in 2009, was uh, uh, always lamenting that they didn't give Mickey more to do with the kind of character that he's doing in the new shorts. Yeah. And he is much more mischievous and Wayne would have loved doing that. Yeah. And, but they, they got a different voice for Mickey's. I've met uh, Brett Iwin uh, actually yes. last August, I think it was. I got it. Right. I'm going to have to get a signed thing from you too because I got a signed picture of him. I'm like, if I get Tony and Selma to come in, I got the trifecta. There you go. There you go. If we can get Tony to come, we, we can do that. But, yeah, it's uh, it's great. And Brett's doing a great job. Mm -hmm. And in the, the shorts, like you say, they're using uh, Chris Diatomopoulos, who played Mo in the Three Stooges movie of a few years ago. And he's a, oh he's a great actor. He, he just kind of brings a different... Yeah. They kind of wanted it kind of a parallel universe kind of uh, take on the characters. A little rougher around the yeah. edges and stuff. And they felt that uh, Chris was better for that, so it wasn't the traditional Mickey. Yeah. Now, I still haven't seen any toys, though, off the newer cartoons. Are they going to make some of those They toys? are. I've, seen, I've got a couple of plush toys from it, and but not a whole lot yet So that I've seen. Because yeah. i got Mickey, Donald, and Goofy sitting up in a mirror in our bedroom, just staring her down every time she sleeps. <laughs> I think I drove her nuts when I put it on my spot. That's Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. But I want to get some of the new styles. I think they're coming out with them. I certainly hope they do. And they've, uh, you know, like I say, I've seen a few, but not too many yet. Okay, now I told you all Neverlanders last week that uh, I wanted to do something for a, a nice tribute to Alan Young, but I didn't have time to put it together because of setting up for the, the Neverland Podcast live panel here at Planet Comic Con. Uh, but I have now a couple of guests with me that work directly with Alan Young, so please welcome back Katie Lee and Townsend Coleman. Hello. 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 <laughs> Townsend, is what? that you being musical? It's me being musical, and that's as musical as I get, trust me. <laughs> oh, but you've got to have a good singing voice, right? Well, not exactly. I can carry a tune, let's put it that way. And that's all, that's enough. 
That's all. It's all that matters, right? That's right. Okay, so just to remind everybody, uh, of course, we're very familiar with Katie. She's actually talked to us a few times uh, with uh, her book, Adventures in Odyssey, and also her work on the Gummy Bears and Darkwing Duck, and of course, Adventures in Odyssey. And then as a reminder for anyone who hasn't heard when Townsend was on our show, it's been like three years. Uh, my goodness, Michelangelo from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and The Tick are some of your major highlights that I think everybody's going to be familiar with. Yeah, I probably. love The Tick. Say Spoon! Spoon! which is fantastic Uh, but of course both of you got a chance to work with the late great Alan Young on Adventures in Odyssey sure did Uh, so when you first met him uh, were you kind of like oh my goodness it's Wilbur well I was yeah I don't know about were you Katie yeah yeah I was thinking I don't think I even worked with Alan before he started uh, working on Odyssey with us I don't think I've ever done anything with him outside of. Yeah, I hadn't. I'd never met him before. I met him on Odyssey, and uh, yeah, the the day that I met him, I was a, a, a bit of a fanboy. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. I tried to play it cool, but you know, come on. <laughs> right, you always do. But yeah, exactly. Come on. It's like I was just. Oh no, this is really Wilbur. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, you know, we we sit in the kitchen and talk and I didn't realize he wrote the whole show. He produced yeah. that show. I mean, that was his baby. Yeah, I didn't oh realize goodness. that either. Yeah. So did, yeah. were you tempted to ask him then, OK, if you kind of worked this so much on the show and produce a show, how did you get Mr. Ed's lips to move for him to talk? I don't think I ever asked him that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I figured he, he was probably he'd probably been asked that so many times in his life that he was tired of answering it. Um, but I, that but, didn't occur to me. I was so fascinated with, you know, his history and his whole life is very interesting, um, you know, to come here. He, I know he grew up really poor, and then he was in Canada, and then he started in the entertainment. He was in the original Time Machine movie. Yeah. Wow. Um, Philby. Yeah. So, uh, and just, a, you know, a terrific writer. And then do you remember one time, uh, well, this was, I'm thinking maybe 10 years ago, maybe longer, but um, when he was in a play, he was doing Damn Yankees. In New York, do you, do you remember him saying he was doing a show? No, I don't remember him um, doing Damn Yankees, huh? But I know that uh, he 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 did a, a play at the Actors Co-op. Oh, did he? Yeah, did a show there. Yeah, he was pretty active for really, most of his life. Really active. Well, you know, I was talking to somebody shortly after uh, we got the news that he had passed away last week that um, I was trying to think, okay, so if he was 96 when he passed away, I started working with him when he was 74. Hmm. And I didn't <laughs> think he was that old. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I didn't, yeah. I didn't think to do any math, but, you know. Right. He but had when I, boyish good looks about him. Anytime I ever saw a picture of him, it's like, oh, how old is he supposed to be? Because he didn't look like he really aged since Mr. Ed. He just got gray hairs, but that's it. Well, right. yeah. And, and not, just a twinkle in his eye and very mm-hmm, gracious, mm-hmm. very sweet. Yeah, not just boyish good looks, but uh, a real young personality to me. Young, oh, young. No and, pun intended, right? Yeah, the bump bump. Um, <laughs> but but it, just young and, and, uh, and energetic and just real, a real youth. Um, 
uh, air about him. Yeah, he just was um, pretty peaceful. He he, uh, you know, he wrote a, he wrote a book. Me and Ed, right? Me and um, yeah, he, he had he. Mm-hmm. I I know he was working on another book when he passed away. I don't know if he finished it, but he did write a book about me and Mr. Ed and uh, the story of that. And why am I saying this? Because because it's one of the many things that he did. <laughs> yeah, go. yeah. Um, because you no, know, in the and that book we were talking about it. Um, I know he was like a a Christian scientist. I don't know if he was forever, but you know he. I just always think he always seemed really healthy and really calm mm-hmm. and really peaceful. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't know. I I, I think he you know, had a, another life, certainly. I never met any of his children. I don't know if you did, Townsend. No. Mm-mm. But uh, I did go visit him at the motion picture home. Did you? I never got a chance to. Yeah, I went there last year. I think did you it go was out last there year. with Will? I didn't go with Will. I went with somebody else, um, and he... Um, but Janet Waldo had been visiting him too with yeah. her daughter, so I haven't talked to her. Um, but yeah, he was he he was having a little trouble um, getting around. He had a wheelchair, but I think I don't think he used it all the time. But had a little visit with him, and I noticed Will took uh, the Saguaro sisters there. I don't know if you noticed, he had them sing for him for Alan, and. I think there, um, someone videoed it and it's on Facebook and it's gotten like 2,000 views. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, boy, that must have brought a smile to his face, I would think. Yeah, yeah well, because um, Shona, who plays my half-sister on Odyssey, her father is Scottish. And oh. he's the one that took the video. So he and Alan had just this wonderful talk because they were both Scottish. Oh, cool. Yeah, they had yeah. a great visit. Did you ever go to... Pa- uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Did you ever go to Buchanan Arms with him? No. You know the Scottish no. restaurant over in Burbank? No, I know there's an English one. Is it on yeah. Burbank? Yeah. yeah, Scottish or English, yeah. But oh, it's, yeah, uh, I yeah, guess I Burbank. did when right. we used to record right. mm-hmm. out that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he... Uh, I guess his accent came back. Both of them got very thick accents after talking to each other. <laughs> well, Alan was able to use that accent for Scrooge McDuck, which I, I'm probably going to love him most for Scrooge McDuck. Right. And I, I got to learn a little history on that uh, a couple of years ago. I covered uh, the making of Mickey's Christmas Carol, and I did not realize that it had been an LP at first. Mm. And that was the first time Scrooge McDuck, which, you know, was a Carl Barks creation. He wasn't originally a Disney creation at all. Uh, but they wanted to do a record of a Christmas Carol and they cast all these different characters and they thought, well, Scrooge McDuck would be great for Scrooge, but they never had a voice for him and they cast Alan Young. I think it was between him and somebody else. But uh, Alan was just so great that they, uh, when they wanted to make DuckTales later, they just went right back to him. Well, but, uh, if you, there's a great if you notice, Will Ryan did Scrooge McDuck's voice. As well, did he really? Oh, when, when he, really? Yeah. Wow, oh, I didn't know what that. Is this? Uh, I just saw it on. It was a go, uh, sport goofy. Oh, is is that one of the uh, the newer Mickey cartoons? I 
think it's one of the older ones, actually. Really? Okay, so there's some research. Okay, I'm going to have to look for that. Okay, yeah. Okay, because I knew Alan Young was the one that uh, was the more famous for doing Scrooge. And uh, actually, I was talking to Bill Farmer last week, and uh, we've talked about Alan Young a little bit, and he showed me uh, one of the last things that he had uh, done. Actually, he did do some of the newer cartoons. There was uh, uh, Goofy's First Love, I think was the title of the cartoon, and some of the new Mickey cartoons that Alan Young did to get, get to come back and be Scrooge again. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, outside his room uh, at the motion picture home on the wall, outside the door on the wall were a couple pictures of Scrooge McDuck. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah. yeah and that's, if, if anyone ever finds the old record, and I think perhaps it is in iTunes, uh, there's some songs in there that Scrooge McDuggs has. So you actually get to hear Alan Young doing a Scottish accent and singing. It's well, I think record. he did that. I think he was like a vaudeville performer, right, Townsend? Yeah. When he was, yeah. Yeah. So course, he can sing. Yeah, and of course he had his own show, the Alan Young Show. Yeah. Uh, early, early on and. Uh, TV. You know, I even did not know that. Even when we were working, I, I don't think I ever stopped fangirling out on him because really he was like I, you know, grew up watching him like you know with my face glued to the TV. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't know he came in color. <laughs> yeah. So when you met him, you were you were shocked that he was. I was. That he wasn't black and white. It was very strange. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, uh. Well, you got you got Jeremy. <laughs> well, because I was I was correlating that to because uh, uh, one of the shows I used to love to watch when I was little was was I Dream of Jeannie, and I've seen it both in black and white and in color. And I just had that thought because uh, uh, at Planet Comic Con last weekend, uh, Barbara Eden was there. Right. Oh. And uh, yeah. I didn't get to record with her, but I got to talk to her and tell her how much I just used to love watching I Dream of Jeannie and still do. And, and I just had that picture of her now being in black and white if I'd have been. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Well, maybe we'll make it out to Planet Con. Is, it, is that a big convention out there? Yes, it is the biggest one here in the Kansas City area. They've been doing it, I think this was their 15th or 16th year. Townsend, we should go to that one. We should go. Yes. Well, ask your, well, tell the people who put it on that you want us and... Well, certainly. And, 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 and well, if I'm I had sure bigger Townsend's budget, not I would, busy you know, next year. That's oh. right. I'm not busy next year. Uh, yeah, and Katie and I will hop in a car and we'll road trip it. Yeah, that would whatever. Be awesome. I just have to build a bigger budget so I can, you know, help pay for your any airfare or any, you know, where you ever need to stay and make sure you're taken care of. And maybe the powers of that be, if you, if everybody writes in and says they want Townsend there or me, they'll, uh, I'm sure they'll want Townsend more than me. Even if they do, they'll they'll write them in their budget. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, well, especially if Townsend brings some other uh, certain turtle actors with him, you know. Oh, they all live together you know oh, so oh, yeah. it's very easy yeah, yeah we just live down in the sewer you know down in the turtle lair so <laughs> I, it's just a matter of nudging them on the couch and saying come on dudes we're going to kansas city that's right yeah. we have barbecue they well, have barbecue speaking of, are, you, are you near are you near chicago uh chicago is uh over toward, more closer to st louis st louis okay. we're on or, or st louis like is on the, mile the uh, wide. how far is that how many miles? Well, uh, you, you can drive on I-70 in about uh, about three, four hours. You can cross the state. I'll be in Chicago in July at the My Little Pony Fair and Convention. So it's like <laughs> oh, well, cool. 
Yeah. Townsend, you worked on that, didn't you? I did for a short while, the original one, yeah. And everybody, yeah. I think everybody did, yeah. In fact, I got an episode that I sang. He was talking about singing. I got an episode that I sang a song in. Really? Really? Yeah. All right. What character did you, were you a pony? Oh, no, I wasn't a, a pony. Guy? I was uh, no, I was a, a kid. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the ponies, the the bronies were, uh, I think, uh, Rob Paulson and Cam Clark and yeah. and those guys back then. Yeah, that was. We had so many people working on that crazy little show. That was that was pretty fun. So, so, I guess I can. Well, I don't know if I can say this here, but I, I think, pretty sure, there's apparently a My Little Pony Hall of Fame with these people. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah, and I, I may be entering it, entering it, <laughs> if I can say it. Katie, um, there you go. How do you like that? You're getting you inducted. Knew. You're getting you inducted into the My Little Pony Hall of Fame. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't say it, you did. I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you there you, you didn't hear it here folks you didn't hear it here <laughs> unless it really happens then you heard it here first <laughs> that's excellent well anyway alan it, i i'm just so so sorry that we couldn't still have him on the show if anybody listens to odyssey they know that um uh, Townsend's character Jason takes over his antique store in our the J and, series. J and J Antiques, yeah. yeah. So you're carrying on the legacy for real now. I'm the thir- I'm the third J. They should they should rename it J and J and J Antiques, yeah. Or J J J J and J. It's not squared. What's the three? What do you call that? Cube. Cube. J to the third. Cube. Yeah. There you yeah. go. J cubed. Yeah. J-cubed. So where do you work, Jason? I work at J-cubed. Antiques. Cube. Yeah. Right. Sounds like a rap star, though, doesn't it? J-cube. J-cube. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's hey, how we stay current. That's me. I work, I work at J-cubed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask you something about the, the cube thing. <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> All right, kids. Okay, back to, um, well, this was our tribute, so um, do you have any other questions? No, uh, it will be fun. It would be fun. I wish he was here to be on the show with us. That would yeah. be even better. Yeah, that was one of my bucket list things I always wanted to be able to do, but uh, I'd heard how he was having failing health, and I know uh, Jason, I never know how to say his last name, but you know him, Katie. Yeah, uh, he's, the one I Radio. he's the one I took to see Alan, actually. Yeah, he's, he he told me he'd got a chance to meet him, but he just he was never going to probably be able to record with him because he just wasn't doing well. And so, uh, yeah, when I heard he passed, I wasn't surprised, but I was very sad. Is you know he was very um, um, gracious, but I don't think he really wanted a lot of fuss or people coming in to see him that way. So, I think that's probably it. You know, very stoic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And probably very humble about it. Absolutely. Well, we remember him for his humility and his warmth and his generosity and and, uh, his kindness and uh, just his uh, sense of life that he had and a sense of humor, too. I mean, uh, just a really wonderful, warm, uh, down-to-earth man. Yeah, well, I couldn't have said that better myself, Townsend. I know make me weep, so... Let's just salute our dear friend, and thank you for wanting to honor him, Jeremy. 
No problem. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for coming on to, to help because I didn't know how I could best do it. <laughs> there you go. So I was like, yes, find some people who knew him. That'd be awesome. Okay, kids. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. Hi, thank you Happy very much. Happy birthday tomorrow. I heard somebody's having a birthday. Why, thank you. Yeah. Mine was yesterday. I just turned 39. Happy oh, birthday to you. And Townsend's got turning 40. Feliz cumpleaños to both of you. 41. <laughs> 41. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, that's Generation X. You know, we, we got to stick together. Right. So. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. Okay. And anytime you have anything to promote, either one of you, remember, just reach out to me. I will promote the Dickens out of it. You got oh, it. Oh, okay. Well, I'll send you something because Will and I did our first stop on our international book tour in Phoenix a couple <laughs> weeks ago. We actually drove. <laughs> yes. And we you, drove. We did drive there. That there was you go. Crazy. You road, You road tripped it. We did, and traveling with Will and eight boxes of stuff, one guitar and two ukuleles. I was very cramped. Yeah. Backstage. Oh uh, my goodness, I can't think of anything more fun. But we made a cute video to show people what we're doing, and if anybody wants us out there to do a little little book for, for the second stop on our international book tour, I think we we may have a spot in our calendar. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the there's the Kansas City Comic Con that's, I think it'll be in August. It was yeah. August last year. Maybe we can get you on the book tour to come over there. And I'll, look, well, I'll look it up for you. Send you a link and see what we can do. But because, yeah. you know, I, although I, I don't know if I could afford to be able to get a few guys flown out here, but I had so much fun doing my panel at Planet Comic Con. I was thinking, gee, I need to do one at Kansas City Comic Con now. What am I going to do? Hmm. <laughs> It would actually be fun to have you two to come and talk about the book. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens. We'll talk later, okay? Let's let's keep yeah. in touch and see what we can do. That'd be fun. I just don't know if I can make it happen, but I'll, I can try. All right. Well, Townie, have a great day tomorrow. Thanks, Katie. All right. Don't eat too much cake. <laughs> try bye not. Bye. Okay, bye, guys. <laughs> Bye-bye. To Disney and beyond. Bye. Okay, Neverlanders. We need a little bit of a Marvel-style education here because now, of course, with X-Men Apocalypse out there in theaters, which you have now heard my review, uh, we wanted to give you a little bit about where Apocalypse... Well, not, this isn't necessarily where he came from, but we'll talk about some of his, one of his bigger stories from the 90s. There was X-Men Age of Apocalypse, which really, I think, sums up a lot of stuff about Apocalypse, although I didn't really read this. Uh, most of my ed education of Apocalypse came from the 90s television series but i know there's a lot more to it because i have read some of their issues with him and you know he's a very complex character and i have a hard time pinning down exactly what all he's capable of but i figure age of apocalypse would be a good starter point and i haven't ever read it but uh, lost boy eric has so here he is eric warren hey there how's it going Oh, well, I tell you what, it's going pretty good. That is a pretty good movie, and I definitely recommend it. It's not perfect, but it was good. All right, well, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't gotten to uh, a chance to watch it yet. Yep, definitely worth it. And right now, Box Office reports that it is stomping on Through the Looking Glass, which everybody will have heard that my wife took the time to go watch that movie. So we, we went our separate ways. <laughs> well, I, I am not too surprised to hear that that's uh, the outcome. Yeah, I, I I didn't really like the first Tim Burton one, so yeah, some people are going to hate me for that. But 
it was okay. I just, yeah, I, I'd rather watch the cartoon. I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, yeah, certainly. But, uh, you know, speaking about Age of Apocalypse, you know, this, this was a huge, massive story that took place over a number of months back in 1995. Uh, I remember at the time picking up, uh, I, I think it was a copy of Wizard, and reading that Marvel was canceling their entire X-Men line. Yeah, they kind of did for a while. They just everything got. It was almost like a, a like flashpoint where you you go back and something in the past gets altered and it changes everything mm-hmm. that you're used to. And that that kind of blew my mind. And uh, I I was hearing stuff that Cyclops was going to be a villain and all that stuff. And I was like, I don't think I, this doesn't appeal to me. I don't think I want to read this. So I just didn't <laughs> buy any of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you know it, it's very interesting uh, how they go about it. Uh, you know, taking Marvel's slide rule timeline, you know, you can never quite fix. Now, did this happen in 1965, or did it really happen in 1980? Uh, Is this the James McAvoy timeline or the Patrick Stewart timeline? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, Age of Apocalypse comes about because 20 years prior to the current uh, timeline, uh, and just after Charles Xavier had met Storm as an urchin in Cairo picketing his pocket, and before he had a chance to defeat the Shadow King, uh, he was hanging out with uh, Eric Lencher, who is, well, at this, at this time he was Eric Lencher, just trying to make his way in the world and try and find some way to right the wrongs that had been done to him, but he had not yet become Magneto. Now, at this time, Charles became involved with a uh, uh, an Israeli woman and built a relationship and ended up walking away from it from some reason and never knowing exactly what had happened. Years in the future, he learns that this woman had a son, his son, uh, who was also a mutant and uh, came to be known as Legion because he had multiple personalities that were all fighting for dominance in his mind and each of these different personalities had their own mutant power whoa now over the course of legion's life he he sees all of these bad things happening to mutants and you know he he learns that charles xavier is his father and he knows that he's been fighting against magneto you know these past 20 years because of their different philosophies and he figures you know what if somebody could go back in time and stop magneto from becoming magneto we're not going to have any of these problems anymore. It's kind of like the let's go back in time and kill Hitler uh, scenario. So uh, Legion finds a way to go back in time, confronts Magneto before his own birth, and Charles ends up getting in between the two of them, Charles Xavier. And he takes a psychic mind blast that was meant for Magneto, which kills him. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> So that leaves Magneto alive uh, 20 years before where the timeline that Legion had come from. Uh, in the shadows, Apocalypse had been observing this Charles Xavier and Eric Lencher and trying to figure out how he could move forward his plans for world domination. With the death of Charles Xavier, he realized, hey, I'm not going to have anyone to stand up against me. Mm-hmm. And he began his plans to take over the world. Now, let's try to explain Apocalypse a little bit. Uh, he was an Egyptian. Mm-hmm. 
and I always get his name wrong. They do use his name in the film. It's like in Sabanor or something. Right, right. And you know, he he. And when we talk about Egyptian, he's not just some guy that's been living in Cairo. We're talking about the dynasty of the pharaohs time yeah. of being an Egyptian. He's an extremely long-lived mutant. In fact, many uh, uh, storylines refer to him as the first mutant. Right. Which I didn't realize he was a mutant because in the 90s series, uh, he does tell a human, I'm as far beyond mutants as they are beyond you. Mm-hmm. So I Sound- thought he was something else. Yeah, sounds like he's probably been talking to the high evolutionary or something. <laughs> something like that, yeah. <laughs> now, what's interesting um, is that this is far back enough in Marvel's timeline that it not only affects the mutant population, but it's Apocalypse is able to set his plans into gear early enough to damage the, uh, the f- space flight that Reed Richards took. Ooh. It ended up killing Reed Richards and Johnny Storm. Uh, Sue Storm and Ben Grimm never received their powers. Uh, there's, wow. a fa- there's a family in Forest Hills of a young boy and his aunt and uncle who are killed. Uh. That never exist in that in this timeline now. Uh, Victor Von Doom never uh, suffers from his accident that scars his face and leads him on his megalomaniacal journey. Ah, because he doesn't have a Reed Richards to compete with. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so, ultimately, this is a world that doesn't have the traditional heroes that we know in the Marvel Universe. Um, Bruce Banner has not become the Hulk. Man. You know, there, it's a vastly different world. A world that, uh, you know, as 20 years pass, somehow leads to the a total annihilation of uh, any type of uh, industrialism within the United States and leads to the introduction of face tattoos and manga hairstyles. Uh, what happened to Captain America? Because I figured that uh, his you know, Project Rebirth would have been, I guess, before uh, Charles Xavier and Eric Lynch met, right? So right. How would, they, how would they deal with that? You know, I, and the, the stories that I read didn't really approach what happened to Captain America, but reading between the lines, the Avengers never formed. The oh, Hulk so was never there. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Donald, exactly. Donald Blake is around, but Thor is not. Ah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But the Avengers never form, and if you'll recall, what happened to, uh, you know, uh, how was it that they discovered Captain America in the 60s? Uh, the Avengers found him, is all I know. The Avengers found him as a capsicle. Yeah. <laughs> and if the Avengers never formed? They can't go and find him. Exactly. Ah, you know, so. If Johnny Storm wasn't there to help Namor stir his memories and remember that he was uh, the prince of Atlantis, then Namor never disturbs that chunk of ice in the Arctic Ocean, which is found by the Eskimos or whoever found it, so that uh, when the Avengers you know, would have been fighting, they still would not have encountered uh, Captain America frozen in the ice. Wow. 
So it's a very different Marvel universe than what we're used to. Yeah, well, I tell you what, the writers, they must have had a lot of meetings to try to figure out how none of these people could have existed and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, and, and, and the writers were uh, Fabian Nixieza and uh, Scott Lobdell. Very good writers, definitely. The, the main artists were uh, Joe Matarera and uh, Adam Kubert. Oh, okay. Yeah, Adam so, Kubert, I'm familiar with his work. It was very good mm-hmm. back in the 90s as well. Mm-hmm. And, and this really was, uh, while Joe Matarera had a few uh, fill-ins and had started penciling this was really his first big breakout piece of uh, work unfortunately uh you know he he ended up uh, dropping out of the scene uh, after he had gone to image to start his own series called battle chasers and he really just drifted out of comics and focused more on uh, uh game creation so that's an interesting story in and of itself. Yeah. But anyhow, back to Age of Apocalypse. Uh, so we're living in a world in which the Marvel Universe never really started. Now, there are several mutants that we're familiar with around. There is uh, Rogue, who uh, has a very close connection with Mystique. There's uh, Nightcrawler, who goes by the name of Kurt Darkholm. He knows who his mother is. Ah. Uh, we have uh, a character who's never mentioned by the name of Logan or Wolverine. He's simply known as Weapon X. Hmm. Now he's, and, uh, he's missing an arm, isn't he? Yes, in fact, uh, Cyclops caused him to lose that arm. Really? Yes. Cyclops uh, is, and his brother Havoc are working as prelates for Mr. Sinister, ultimately under... Uh, Apocalypse. And if you've read any uh, X-Men book involving Mr. Sinister, you know he is deeply invested in the Summers family. Yes, he is. My goodness. And and so he has both Cyclops and Havoc on a tight leash. Uh, Cyclops loses an eye, Mm -hmm. which makes him a true Cyclops. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The Beast is not the happy, fun, oh-my-stars-and-garters, happy-go-lucky beast. He becomes the dark beast. Mm-hmm. He is a geneticist who, you know, is using, who's doing human experimentation. Ew. And really nasty stuff coming out of there. Uh, there is, oh golly, I'm trying to remember a few of the others. There is a, uh, oh, Jean Grey is around as well. But she is, what's the best way to say it? She's more attached to Weapon X. She only saw Scott Summers once. However, Mr. Sinister was able to take her genetic material and Scott Summers' genetic material and said, this is, these two are the absolute best uh, that we can combine and create the, the greatest weapon that we can. And he does so and creates a young man by the name of Nate. Mm. who is a clone made from the DNA of both Scott Summers and Jean Grey. He happens to have one eye that tends to flash. Hmm. He doesn't have white hair, and he's not uh, uh, beset by a techno-organic virus, but uh, I think we can make some parallels as to who he's supposed to represent. Cable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No sign of strife, though. Uh, There's a... uh, Oh, almost comatose assassin by the name of Dead Man Wade. Uh, He's not a joke cracker. 
That takes all the fun out of it. He's not a merc with a mouth. He's kind of dour. Uh, but there's also some interesting new characters. Um, there's a girl by the name of Blink. In fact, uh, the, the books almost refer to her by her given name of, oh golly, now I'm forgetting it. But, but they, they refer to her given name almost more often than by her code name of Blink. But she is a mutant who can teleport. She has these little um, daggers that she throws and opens a, 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 a portal to teleport through. There's also Morph, who, you know, for fans of the TV series, you know, he's a wise-cracking guy who can look like anything, and he's very yeah. much uh, a big part of, uh, of this, you know, of this universe as well. <clears throat> yeah, I think they probably did that for a fan service because he was so great in the cartoon, and then everybody was like, he's not in the comics. Mm -hmm. We like Morph. Free in Morph. So... <laughs> But, uh, you know, to get into the storyline, though, in this world, Magneto has brought together his X-Men. Now, it doesn't, it's made up of several different X-Men that we've known through the years, but the team in and of itself is uh, a group that we haven't really seen uh, in action together. He also is involved in a relationship with Rogue, and they have a child. Whoa, and how did that happen? <laughs> Very good question, and they address it. Magneto is able to control the electromagnetivity between their bodies. Okay. That's all I can really say about that. But it does allow him to touch Rogue without her powers uh, coming into effect. Oh, Rogue also has, uh, rather than gaining her powers... Um, her uh, flight and such from Ms. Marvel. In this world, she has gained them from uh, Polaris. Huh, so she's got magnetic powers of her own. Then. Exactly. Now, uh, speaking of Magneto's family, which may have been retconned recently, uh, when he begins his X-Men, he includes his, as far as he knew at the time, daughter and son, the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. As far as he knew at the time, what have they ever done something in recent comics? Uh, in, rec in recent comics, uh, spoiler alert, um, about two years ago, or about a year and a half maybe, they revealed that the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are actually inhumans and are not related to Magneto. What? Yeah. I, I somehow or another, I feel that might have been a jab at uh, Fox because they wanted to be able to use those characters. Mm hmm. Quite possibly. Hmm. Quite possibly. So, wow. uh, yeah, so thereby hangs a tail. Uh, but, uh, Mag I guess that's what they went with for Avengers Age of Ultron, because they were supposed to be from experiments. Mm -hmm. Maybe that, that would make sense if Hydra had been messing with Terrigen Mist. Maybe that's what was supposed to have been going on then, huh? Exactly. Oh, jeez. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. The and they wonder why I, I start limiting how many comics I read, because they keep messing <laughs> with stuff. Yeah, that 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 story that comes out through a storyline called Axis, in which uh, heroes and villains have their personalities flipped, and so you've got heroes who are now acting like villains and villains who are now acting like heroes, and uh, even still in uh, current comics we can see some of the effects of that. Sabretooth, uh, his alignment was changed, so he's uh, acting now much more like a hero. In fact, he's part of the X Men now, um, and, you know, which is interesting because. It mirrors, his, his current attitude mirrors what's in 
going on within Age of Apocalypse. He's actually taken on uh, the Wolverine mentor role to the young female uh, newbie, Blink, and really guiding and teaching her. And he's uh, tried to renounce his ways of being an assassin and to go out and murder and kill. So it's a, it's an interesting parallel that uh, you know harkens back to it. Um, yeah. What what's you know Magneto he creates his X Men and the first uh, issue um, is about you know just after he's created the X Men and training them in their danger room somehow uh, he is able to maintain their base uh, at, on Gray Malkin Lane at the at uh, the Xavier's uh, home for school for gifted children and they're able to do so under the nose of apocalypse who has no idea where they are or where they're training but what sets magneto against apocalypse is the death of scarlet witch hmm. so from there the timeline jumps a little bit further to where it should be 20 years now from the death of charles xavier apocalypse has taken over north america uh, Europe is accepting human refugees uh, trying to escape North America. Uh, Bolivar Trask has created sentinels that guard the British coastline from any attacks that Apocalypse may send towards Europe. Uh, the Mideast has been uh, destroyed in nuclear explosions. Uh, South America has been taken over by Apocalypse's forces as well. Uh, Japan has been destroyed. Um, there's general chaos and anarchy, and to be honest, I really don't know what kind of uh, system was in place to feed, clothe, home, and uh, take care of everybody within these universes uh, or within these areas. But hey, that being aside, the storyline is all about what uh, Magneto uh, has to do. Um, he comes across Bishop. Uh, Bishop was actually present. He had gone back further in time to when uh, Charles Xavier was killed by Legion. And rather than disappear from the timeline, he actually remained, and he ages 20 years. Uh, he kind of goes a little bit insane. He knows little bits and pieces. But he knows that the world that they are living in is not the right world. And, you know, Magneto can understand, you know, if, if we can, you know, put this plan into motion and restore everything, there, there's no need for us to have this suffering and this pain that we've endured for 20 years under apocalypse. However, it would mean making a huge sacrifice. And that sacrifice is his and Rogue's son, Charles, huh. who would never exist if yeah. the timeline were restored. Yeah. But he realizes that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah. So his plan involves Gambit going to the Shi'ar Empire to steal the Macran crystal. It involves uh, Peter Rasputin and Shadowcat to find Ileana Rasputin. Peter Rasputin, also known as Colossus. Exactly. He doesn't read the comics. I better figure we better throw that in. Mm -hmm. you know, and it's interesting. There's a, a character that comes up named Mikhail Rasputin. Uh, I, I went through it so quickly, and I haven't had enough time to, you know, research to see if this is anyone who's related to Colossus or, or Ileana. But uh, he was a main protagonist within all of the books as well. Um, basically, it's it's 
Magneto comes across this plan that if he can use the McCran crystal and uh, utilize Ileana's mutant powers to go back in time, they can prevent the death of Charles Xavier. Hmm. Go back and re-alter it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Alter the alteration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what I was wondering about is how do they fix it? Because uh, I, you know, I, like I said, I didn't read any of this because I was like, why are they messing up everything? Ah! And I just was like, oh. yeah, yep. I was not happy. <laughs> so, I mean, the, it's it's classic 90s X-Men um, coming from a different perspective, a uh, different yeah. way of looking at it. Um, and it did have some reverberations uh, throughout the timeline afterwards after they, you know, brought back the correct universe. Um, the Dark Beast this evil version of Hank McCoy somehow escaped and was able to wreak havoc uh, with the X-Men for years to come. You had this uh, demonic character called the Sugar Man who existed only in this world and was somehow able to escape himself and torment Generation X. I vaguely remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Generation X, I think I only got a couple issues of that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then uh, you also had Nate Gray, right. the X-Man, who yeah. was able to escape as well, and Marvel can never really figure out what to do with him, so he kind of went into obscurity. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh, look, it's a young cable. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it was a very interesting uh, thing for Marvel to do. You know, we know a couple of years later, actually about a year later, they had uh, Heroes Reborn, in which... Cap, the Fantastic Four, Iron Man, uh, the Hulk, and Thor all went into their own little universe, and they had a little uh, reboot of their own, uh, separate from what was going on within the current Marvel Universe, where they had all simply just disappeared. Um, Marvel, you know, this was about the time that they were going through their bankruptcy as well, so they're trying, mm-hmm. you know, all of these different uh, tactics uh, to try and find new readership. Um, about this time, I remember a Spider-Man comic book referring to the coming of Kane. Yep. Yeah. They, they did some more stuff with the, they did a, a big clone saga thing in the Spider-Man books that kind of really upset everybody, and they even... Went so far as to say, no, Peter Parker is the clone, and when he was cloned back in the 60s, that other guy was the real Peter Parker. It was, and it, 70s, actually. Oh, 70s. <laughs> well, you know what I mean, though. <laughs> but they, they did a lot of things and just messed with stuff, and I think that's probably why they started going bankrupt, because they started messing around so much, and they ended up uh, rebooting Spider-Man with a brand new number one, and even tried to retcon... The the radioactive spider bite at the demonstration was something that Dr. Octopus was doing and having that same accident creating Dr. Octopus that also creates Peter Parker as being Spider-Man, mm-hmm. uh, which I I don't think they're carrying on with that anymore because they they you know redid a new number one and they don't talk about Doc Ock being created that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they tried to start over with Spider-Man a little bit. And they kind of keep doing that. They keep finding, you know, well, oh, we'll do a parallel universe, the ultimate universe. And look, we have a brand new Spider-Man. And here recently, uh, they've got Spidey, which is sort of reinventing Spider-Man a little bit, but yet keeping it traditional. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually enjoying reading it because it's it's more you know, the Spider-Man that I you know, knew and love, although it's the character is in a slightly different situation. For any, I'm, I'm going to 
to go off on a tangent mm-hmm. here, but it's been really good. It is taking Peter Parker back to high school, but now that he's in high school with Gwen Stacy and with Harry, so they're they're introducing all of the you know all of his friends, but keeping them all in high school. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of Spectacular Spider-Man, mm-hmm. which was a great cartoon. Uh, so I've really been getting into this, and it's it's not giving weird alternate versions of his villains. It's giving the villains in the way that you know them, but they don't have as much history with Spider-Man yet. Mm-hmm. This is still kind of being like an early Spider-Man. Yeah. So it's actually been really good. I've, I've enjoyed mm-hmm. it. And, and I like what it's doing, you know, as far as what the Ultimate Universe did and, you know, setting it in a contemporary time period uh, yeah. because they, they do make reference to current technology and, uh, you know, current celebrities and whatnot, uh, Mm-hmm. you know within this storyline so again it's it's a it's an update but it's not a reimagining yeah it's basically take everything you love about spider-man and let's just you know kind of start over and but yet keep everything you love about mm-hmm. so i i found a spider-man comic i can read and enjoy it again <laughs> i'm so happy yeah and, <laughs> and and to continue the tangent it's interesting that you know they had done that doc Ock thing with the spider bite you know they're they're actually been playing around with that in uh, recent history too. Um, yeah, Silk. Yep, and you know, there's there, and and they've tied Silk's origin in with uh, Ezekiel, who was part of the J. Michael Straczynski uh, run yeah. on Spider-Man, and uh, bringing in the whole totem aspect of his powers. Yeah, and that that was very interesting, and that was that was doing just enough interesting to question things a little bit without changing things. Right. J. Michael Straczynski's run was fantastic, and he's what brought me back to reading Amazing Spider-Man again years and years ago, because I had, I had walked away from Marvel, because, you know, X-Men had gotten changed up so much, and they were trying too hard to reflect the movies, and it just wasn't as fun as I'd had, as it was for me in the 90s when I was reading a lot of X-Men and Spider-Man and stuff, and after the Clone Saga that happened to Spider-Man, I kind of lost interest in that. I was like, okay, I, I don't like what you've done for my favorite character, or I'm going to just walk away. So I wasn't surprised when the bankruptcy stuff started happening because, like, well, you guys messed too much with what people loved about these characters. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, until the uh, Children of Gwen Stacy storyline, but more yeah, or less upset about that. <laughs> yeah, that I gotta say though, that was an interesting uh, setup there, mm-hmm. uh, it, but it just kind of didn't make a whole lot. They tried to fitted in with past kind of like something that's happening now with captain america where apparently they've tried to fit in with the past to say no see it makes sense that he would be like hydra and but i'm like yeah okay well clearly a double agent but why are you even doing this because you're taking an american symbol and he's not just a marvel icon he's become a symbol of america over the years and to have him you know even utter the words hail hydra is kind of insulting right i'm thinking between uh you know with his recent Reuthanication is that a word? Um, by <laughs> rejuvenation, yeah, perhaps by a cosmic cube, and possible interference by the Red Skull, who has grafted Charles Xavier's brain to his own. Hey, comics, everybody! Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think you know we're going to find a storyline that is you know going to explain. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll definitely have a storyline explaining why this is happening, and hopefully. Uh, it will uh, make sense, but I know that there's an awful lot of people out in the world right now who are very upset with uh, yeah. this change in the status quo. And even saw an article where the, uh, a Jewish man feels that this is kind of anti-Semitic when you consider Captain America's origins being a propaganda piece against the Nazis. 
and it feels like you've taken the meaning away out of it, and it's almost like having Captain America as a Nazi, you know. And I, I kind of understand. I think he took it a bit extreme, but I do understand. I guess where he's coming from a little mm-hmm. bit of how he feels this is an offense to Jewish people, which okay, you know, if you're offended and you're Jewish and you want to call it that, alrighty. I just think it's just a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. But it's Marvel's big thing anymore has been shock value. Do whatever to get headlines, even if it means ruining your your best characters. Which is why I'm right now I'm reading. Well, I'm I'm still two issues behind on Haunted Mansion comics and the Star Wars comics because there's not a whole lot I think that they are going to do to mess with that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, and I'm still enjoying them. You know, that's good stuff. Well, and of course now the Spidey. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm enjoying. Yeah. It. Well, and and. You know, to throw my two cents in, if you're looking for a good comic book that gives a solid story and really gets back to the heart of characters, pick up DC Rebirth number one by Jeff Johns. Yeah, I think I need to look into that because I guess they realize, okay, the new 52 needs to be reset and we need to get back on par with uh, what everybody loved about the DC Universe. And apparently that's what this Mm -hmm. is. Well, and the great thing is it's not... A reboot that's taking what has come with the new 52, making you know the necessary tweaks and adjustments to it to move the story forward. You know there was still a new Superman who showed up and who has, ooh, this is going to be a real big spoiler, who is no more with us. What? But the pre new 52 Superman and Lois have been able to come into this uh, this new Earth, and they've been living there undercover for five years. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's been a whole big series uh, involving uh, uh, Lois and Clark, and you know how they've been, you know, living and what they've been doing, and they have a son as well. Hmm. Lots of sons coming up here. Yeah. Anyhow, um, it in this issue, it's interesting because. The pre-New 52 Superman, he sees the New 52 Superman die, and he's not too concerned about it, because he knows, you know, from his own experience, that he died and he returned. So this New Superman, he's gone through some similar experiences. Not everything has been the same. Things have turned out somewhat differently. But he knows that this Superman is going to return. Now, I'm not saying that we saw a grave with... uh, dirt flying upwards from it. Batman Superman. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it's, it, yeah. but it's a solid comic. It, it doesn't just focus on that. It features the return of the pre-New 52 Wally West okay. as he interacts with um, these characters who have no idea who he is. It's heartbreaking when he tries to reach out to his wife, Linda Park, and she doesn't recognize him. Uh, but that is, you know, we see him uh, observing uh, Ray Palmer and Ryan Choi as a teacher and student, both who in the previous universes have become the Atom. Uh, he sees, uh, oh, golly. I'm trying to remember everything now. It, it's been a big week in comics. <laughs> yes, it is. But uh, the, um, the finale, a- the finale of it is the person who finally recognizes him and reaches out to him and who saves him is his Uncle Barry Allen. Oh, awesome. And suddenly we've now got a DC Universe with two Wally Wests because a, a new Wally West was introduced 
about a year and a half ago in The Flash. And they're not shying away from there now being two Wally Wests. They're both distinct and different individuals. They have uh, different parents, uh, but they're all related to Iris West, or they're both related to Iris West. So they can both refer to her as Aunt Iris. That's cool. But, uh, you know, they've done some other interesting things by tying in, you know, let's just say that uh, this universe has been watched by some watchmen. Oh, so they're bringing them back in, apparently, then, tying into the universe. Particularly one who can play around with time and atoms and molecular structure. Blue and naked. (laughs) And there's a Mr. Oz involved somewhere. Hmm. So, Uh, but to turn back a corner, though, to get back what we were supposed (laughs) to be talking about, Apocalypse, um, there's a few questions that, okay, so... My understanding of Apocalypse is that he was, in his own way, a shape-shifting character, which or a shape-shifting mutant. Uh, and I do have the comics where they had the uh, the adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, where it was supposed to be they were trying to go on their honeymoon, and suddenly they were taken through time mm-hmm. to help raise Cable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have Apocalypse, and he has a completely different look. Uh, and from what I'm understanding of Apocalypse, he has like a, a specific chamber... And it's almost like a Lazarus pit where he has to go and hibernate or whatever for a while. Then he can come back rejuvenated at full strength. And but I, that's that's the main thing as I know about him, other than being nearly indestructible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is that what your familiarity with Apocalypse is? Uh, you know, actually, no. In fact, that doesn't even come up in Age of Apocalypse. Uh, we see him in his full uh, lip to cheekbone line glory. Yeah, which is actually when you get a good look at Apocalypse in the the X Men film, you will kind of see that line in mm-hmm. there. Uh, they did a slightly different take. They had him as being the first mutant where he the it, it the I guess his initial power that he has is the ability to transfer himself into another mutant's body, mm. but he needs some assistance from a pyramid, so they're keeping that in there. So he's accumulated all these different powers by uh, every he chooses a, the most powerful mutant and he transfers himself into that body and that body kind of changes into the new apocalypse and he ends up looking like himself mm-hmm. but so he's gained powers of all these other different mutants and they do have a reason for him to have you know been ageless but it was a different take on him but it it, it didn't really resemble the apocalypse that I'm familiar with mm-hmm. and so I was kind of wondering if there was any basis for what they did in the film. Does that sound familiar? Like anything you've ever heard of in the comics about Apocalypse? Everything? Nope. It sounds more like Proteus and um, oh golly, there was one other one that I just had on the tip of my tongue. But Proteus was a mutant who uh, would take over other people's bodies. Yeah, and that was Moira McTaggart's son, which also kind of relates to this film because they do mention Moira McTaggart having a mm-hmm. And which I'm like, oh, Proteus. And there, there was a storyline in which there was a mutant who was, uh, oh no, the Shadow King. The Shadow King was taking over other mutants' bodies in Age of Apocalypse. Right. And um, you know, for those who don't know, the Shadow King uh, was a mutant who could fight others on the astral plane, and he was a big right. uh, villain uh, against Charles Xavier himself as well as against. Um, Storm, uh, they they used yeah, her a some, lot somewhat that. against Storm. Uh, in fact, in the '90s series, they did a really good episode with him going after Storm, mm-hmm. wanting her power. Uh, but particularly, Psylocke uh, has fought against him multiple times. Yeah, 
Which brings me to another thing that was kind of odd with the movie, and I don't know if there's any, been any sort of uh, something that would relate to the modern versions of Psylocke. Because from what I'm familiar with Psylocke, her, she had a psychic blade that she could form that was completely mental. And then when she used it on someone, she basically kind of fried their brain for a mm -hmm. while. It did not do physical damage. It did telepathic right. damage. And late, I did see later on that she was able to form it into a katana mm -hmm. that she could fight with. Now, in the film, we see Psylocke with a katana and also forming a very long blade, but giving it physical properties. In fact, if you watch in the commercials, they have her split a car in half mm. with her psychic mm. blade. Now, has something changed in the comics to where her psychic blade has become more of a telekinetic power where it does have physical properties to do anything like that? Not that I'm aware of. Um, in fact, she so, doesn't even show up in Age of Apocalypse. But they, well, this, this movie isn't really pulling from right. Age of Apocalypse, but... Uh, but I was like, where are they coming up with this, some of these ideas? And that's kind of my complaint I do have with the movie is they're still messing with things. But yet they still did make a good movie, mm -hmm. but they still mess with stuff that I'm like, why don't you just let the characters be who they're supposed uh, to be? It's probably studio executives who feel that uh, the viewers are not going to be able to understand what a psychic blade is. So let's just take it that yeah. step further and show that. It but yet they things. did step into the astral plane or the, the mental Ooh. battleground. They actually do take that step in the film. Excellent. And have a, have a, a mental battle. Mm -hmm. That that has, seems to be in the physical realm, and is a fantastic scene. And so I'm like, okay, if you're willing to take that step, but for, not, for some reason not willing to have Psylocke have her telepathic abilities, then I mm -hmm. don't know. They there there there's there like I said, there's some things that a comic fan is probably gonna be a little disappointed with this film, but overall, still a very good mm -hmm. movie. Which I'm probably going to end up saying all this in the review, which I haven't <laughs> recorded yet, but. Well, and, and you know, another thing in the movie, it's got well-established heroes acting as Apocalypse's um, horsemen. Right. That Which is a complaint because they could have kept the characters around and be, prepared them to be X-Men, but yet they only keep one, and I'm not going to tell mm -hmm. you which because I don't want to spoil anything. Well, and one character they keep, one character they kill. Hmm. I'm disappointed in that, too. But yeah, I'm sounding like I'm complaining about the movie, but you know, I'm going to have the review before you'll have heard it, and so you'll hear that I did enjoy the movie. I, I was it was fun, but it's it's typical of what you expect from Fox, where they're going to mess with stuff. They're just trying not to mess it up so bad that they make a bad mm -hmm. movie. Well, and and while Apocalypse in this storyline does have his four horsemen, they are not uh, characters that have been X Men. They are. Uh, I don't know if they were new to this storyline. To be honest, in my chronological reading of Marvel Comics, I'm still somewhere in 1982. So uh, I did jump ahead a bit to uh, read this storyline. So you know, I'm sure we're going to learn more about uh, these other characters like Holocaust, who apparently is Apocalypse's son. That's one of these four horsemen. But uh, you know, even even though you know the Summers brothers are working for uh, for Apocalypse, they are not considered horsemen. Um, they go about and they do Apocalypse's and uh, Nathaniel X's, uh, Mr. Sinister's bidding, but uh, they're not actually horsemen. Okay. But yeah, so that's uh, the Age of Apocalypse. We'd probably, we better tie a bow on mm -hmm. this one. Yeah, be sure to check out Comixology. Um, I'm sure that they've got all of the issues uh, compiled there. Yep, I'll bet they do. But uh, so, yeah, there's definitely some comics, and I'm sure to tie in with the movie. They're, well, then again, you know, Marvel being under Disney's leadership has not wanted to 
tie anything to any X-Men films here lately, and they're really pushing the Inhumans forward and even got a new Inhumans book. Mm-hmm which I, I think you've said was actually really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, Marvel is pushing an, uh, an X-Men storyline right now, uh, which is set in the future, but does involve Apocalypse. So um, they're certainly uh, so. not shying away from it by any means. Well, that's good to know. So if you're interested in knowing more about Apocalypse, you can actually pick up some, some current comics. Exactly. All righty. We better tie a little bow on that. Well, all right. Thanks for coming to to share the story. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 